Hello, and welcome to episode number four of Eye-Opening Moments, where you'll hear stories of adversity, encounters, and perspectives. These are real-life stories that can lift your spirits, give you some food for thought, or move you. I'm your host, Emily K. Tan. In this episode, you will hear about Dare to Get Near Me, The Goodbyes, and Diamonds Are Indeed Forever. A moment of adversity called Dare to Get Near Me. A man stood directly in front of me with hands to the side. He was staring straight at me and I was staring straight back at him. We were standing six inches apart from each other. We both stood there. He looked as if he was exploring my eyes, eyebrows, forehead, nose, and lips. He smiled and seemed like he enjoyed what was in front of him. He was like a child, exploring some new object, and was fascinated by it. He looked like he was looking at each section, one at a time, with keen interest, like a scientist. I wondered what could be interesting for him. I had all the essential facial body parts, like any other normal human being so I don't think there should have been any fascination. I don't know what he was staring at, but I know it was me. After all, we were only six inches apart from each other. I do know what I was staring at when I looked at him. I scanned his face. I looked into his eyeballs like they were objects. They looked like something from outer space, like a round planet. It was dark brown. When I finished looking at them, I moved on to the whites surrounding the eyeballs. They looked like they had a slimy film to them. Then I moved to look at the forehead and his curly dark brown hair. I focused on the space between the two eyes and stared blankly at the area with boredom. It was uninteresting. I was not looking to examine this person before me. I followed instructions to do this activity of looking at someone from a close distance for a certain amount of time. I stared at the space between the eyes, so I appeared to be looking at a person as instructed. I treated him like an inanimate object, to not get uncomfortable or express feelings. The goal was to stay focused, looking at the person, and to see how long we could do it without looking away. Goal-oriented me, I was determined to do it without losing focus, and I did. I could do so because I treated him like a non-living thing without feelings. Horrible me. I am task-oriented. I heard others say it was hard to look at someone else closely for an extended period and not look away. I thought, why are you talking? They are not following directions to do the activity in silence. They are not focused. 
the man before me was doing an excellent job of staring at me. He looked amused. I was doing an excellent job of pretending to be staring at him. It was not amusing to be looking at him. Suddenly, but gently, he took both my hands and held them lightly. His left hand held my right hand, and his right hand held my left hand. He took a small step to be closer to me, more intimate than the six inches. He laughed. I said, you're not supposed to go past the white line on the floor. He was not following the directions of the activity. And now he made me break my silence. We started laughing in a controlled manner as we were supposed to be silent. I guess I started having a little fun, or I was beginning to be amused. Looking back, I think he couldn't focus anymore, so he was playing with me. I think the laughter helped me relax a bit and be a little less focused. His fault for getting me unfocused. Then the unthinkable happened. This man took off my glasses and stepped yet another step closer to me. He must have been at least two inches away from me, if not more. I was shocked. I could not believe he did that. No one in my life had ever taken off my glasses, other than myself or my optometrist. How could he dare do such a thing? He quietly laughed, and I quietly laughed. Something so shocking was something so fun in the next second. I felt like we were kids doing something naughty because we were supposed to be absolutely in silence while doing the activity. We were pretty quiet, but not silent. It was soft laughing sound of breaths in and out that you could hear. Soon I heard time was up, and I looked away to see that most of the seminar participants had already gone back to their seats because they couldn't stay focused looking at the person before them. So, back to my seat, people shared their experiences. Many shared how we don't often really look at the people in our lives and how it was hard to look for a long time unless it was someone extremely close to them. For me, I could look at someone if needed, but if I weren't interested in the other person, I wouldn't care to look much. So what did it say about me? While anyone can make up all kinds of interpretations about the activity or our ideas about it, I did learn something glaringly grave about me. I lack a great deal of compassion for others, and the exercise did have something to do with compassion. I am kind and generous to people I love or care about, but if I don't like someone or if I don't care about someone, I am not kind, I am not generous, and I have no compassion towards them. This revelation was not entirely new to me, 
But what was new was that I realized why I lacked so much compassion for others. It had something to do with my childhood, where there was no compassion for me. And in response to it, I didn't show empathy or care for others. I am sorry that I did not spend more time exploring and looking at the man before me in the activity we did many years ago. My excuse was that I didn't know him. He was a stranger to me, and I had no interest in him. I am sorry because he is another human being, and all human beings deserve some respect and attention. I was disrespectful for treating him like an inanimate object I needed to stare at for an activity. It doesn't matter whether I know or care about someone. What matters is that I am human, and it would be nice for me to treat others with more compassion and humanity. When I take the time to do this more often, I will make the world a better place. While this may sound good in theory, I know it to be accurate, and I know it to be great because I have felt it on the receiving end. There was no compassion in my world as a child, and I turned to be a cold person fighting to be heard, fighting to achieve, fighting to make a mark, to say, I am human, look at me. As an adult, after many years of life experiences, including this significant activity, I realized that it is on me to give compassion for a better world in relating with others. As a volunteer in Bhutan, the land of happiness, I did volunteer work there. Though I was volunteering and it seemed that I was giving, I felt that the Bhutanese people were benevolent and I was on the receiving end of it. Their smiling faces, their purity, their kindness, so pure, impressed upon me the beauty of benevolence and compassion. Indeed, the world needs more of it. There will be more peace and love with it. So I raised my hand to pledge to contribute more. The little girl who didn't have it grew up to start giving it. Miracles do happen, and it started with a staring activity. Moments of Encounters called the goodbyes. I was only 17, but I was already in a very serious long-distance relationship. At 16, I met Keith through the pen, through letter writing as a pen pal. After a year of letter writing and phone calls, we were in love and best friends. Soon we met in person. I finally had a person in my life who was intimately interested in me and understood me very well. That could not be surprising because we shared many personal thoughts and feelings about life through writing and talking before meeting each other. After being together for only several weeks in person, he was leaving to go home. Of course, 
we said our goodbyes at the airport. While that first goodbye did not seem like anything special, what got etched in my mind was what he said over the phone to me after he left. He said, I turned around to look at you and waited for you to turn around too, but you didn't turn around. Why didn't you turn around? I said, I thought you already left. Though in the future of our on and off again years of relationship, we would have more goodbyes. He would say a few more times, why didn't you turn around? I would again say, I thought you left already. As simple as those words of exchange were, little did I know that those words, why didn't you turn around, would come back to haunt me. Many, many years later, when I was dating my last boyfriend, every so often he would say, you know, every time I drop you off at your house, I watch you until you get in the door of your house and you never turn around. Why don't you turn around? I would say, I guess I don't like looking back to the past. I like moving forward to the future. At other times, I would say, I already said goodbye to you when I was getting out of the car. At any rate, because he said this a couple of times during the years we were dating, I recalled that my first boyfriend said something similar. How strange it was to have two ex-boyfriends say the same thing. The only thought was that I remember my first boyfriend saying it. And the only significance was that I remember him saying it. Yet, many, many more years later, at present, I am in a writing class where the writing assignment is to write an essay entitled The Goodbye. And my first brainstorming thought was saying goodbye to my mom at the airport when I was a child. I tried to visualize it, and I discovered something that shocked me. When I was five years old, mom sent me to live with my grandparents, who had just immigrated to the United States and lived in another state. Every so often, when I was six, seven, eight, nine, or ten years old, mom would come to visit. When she arrived, she didn't spend much time with me, but every time she went to the airport, I asked to go along with my uncle as he drove mom to the airport. When mom was leaving, she always seemed to be dashing to board the airplane, and mom left me standing there watching her leave. My uncle would say, stop standing there, let's go. I was busy watching mom until she disappeared into the airplane. She never turned around to look at me, not even once. I never even remembered this detail until I decided to think back and see that goodbye. Suddenly, miraculously, after all these years, I solved the mystery. When someone asked, why don't you turn around? Or, why didn't you turn around? Now I know the answer. It is because mom didn't turn around.
moment of a perspective called Diamonds Are Indeed Forever. Holding a diamond between my two fingers, I held it up towards the sunlight to see how it would sparkle and view the diamond's degree of clarity. It was my first time doing it, and it was exciting to learn a little something about diamonds from the jewelry store owner. I was getting married, and the diamond ring was supposed to represent our love and commitment. After getting engaged, everyone wanted to see the diamond. My fiancé brought me to the store to choose the diamond I wanted. I chose a round one that looked clear. It was 1.5 carats. It meant something about my love life, and I was wearing something valuable. The diamond became the most expensive thing I wore daily. I enjoyed wearing it and looking at it. Other people did too. I suppose I liked the idea of getting married and being married. It wasn't a good sign when other people were more excited than I was about getting married. It took me some time to get used to wearing the diamond. Though it was precious, it seemed fragile too. I could bump against something and scratch or lose the diamond. I had to be careful. I got used to wearing it and it was no longer such a bother. Nearly seven years later, my relationship with my diamond ring changed. I was in the process of getting a divorce, so I took the diamond off, but kept it. My husband asked to take it back. I asked my lawyer about it, and he clarified that my husband couldn't take it back because it was a gift. I told my husband what my lawyer said. My husband said, he only bought it for me so that I would marry him. Whether he wanted to call it a gift or not, it was a gift in the eyes of the law, and I had a right to keep it. I didn't like keeping it, but I knew it had value. I liked the diamond ring when it meant that I was married. I wanted to toss it when I filed for divorce. I was smart enough to keep it because I knew it was valuable but I wasn't sure what to do with it, other than to keep it. Five years after my divorce, I finally took it out to bring to a jeweler. I was in financial straits and needed money. The diamond was part of my emergency fund. The jeweler separated my diamond from the gold ring part. As I observed him do this before my eyes, I felt nauseous, like... I wanted to vomit. The precious diamond that I wore for seven years was now just a piece of rock, just a thing that I gave significant meaning. The jeweler examined my diamond and said it was a good diamond with great clarity. He was impressed. Just like that, he cut a big check for me. To my surprise, it was the same amount as what my ex paid it was then that I realized that diamonds are indeed forever. The value did not change in the 12 years that it was in my possession. I got the diamond on, jo on a joyous occasion. I got to keep it even when I got a divorce. It saved me when I was in a difficult financial situation. Though the marriage didn't last, the diamond sure retained its value 
in more ways than one. Though I stared at a stranger like an inanimate object, I realized and learned to have respect and compassion for all human beings. Though I didn't turn around after saying my goodbyes, I had an epiphany. I discovered why I didn't turn around. Though my marriage didn't last, my diamond did. First, it symbolized love and marriage. Then, it was an emergency fund and a savior. Next week, you will hear three new real-life stories called Labeled Stupid, One Whirlwind Romance, and First Thing in the Morning. If you have any questions or comments about an eye-opening moment, email me or go to inspiremereads.com. Thank you for listening.